Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. We're in for a special treat today. We have a friend named Danny from a company called Simply Do It. He got started doing real estate deals from Israel in the United States. And he came across my radar recently and I said, hey, I got I to gotta get you on the podcast and talk about how to do deals virtually the automated way. Like anybody that can do deals in the US from Israel is a rock star in my opinion. I even coached some students one time, Danny, you'd be interested in this, that were doing deals in the US from Beirut, Lebanon. And it was crazy. So we'll talk about all of this stuff here. First, I want to let you all know that this podcast is brought to you by my brand new book. It's called recession-proof real estate investing. And you can get this nice book here for just $7. You don't have to wait for it to be delivered in the mail. It's a PDF book, but it's more than just a PDF. It comes with a mind map. It comes with videos. It comes with calculators and spreadsheets and my marketing pieces. Here's the thing, guys, you all know this. We're in a recession, right? There's no arguing about that. It doesn't matter if you think we should wear masks or not, if you think COVID is real or not. Like We're in a recession. Officially, it started like five, six months ago. So here we are. What do you do? I'm actually excited about this recession that we're in, in a good way, not like I'm happy that people are suffering or whatever. But with every crisis comes an equal amount of opportunity. And as investors, you need to know how where the new opportunities are. You need to know what you need to focus on and how to do more deals, make more money in this recession. I wrote this book, Recession-Proof Real Estate Investing, to talk about this because it was in 2008 and nine when I quit my job at the height of the last recession that we were in. And I I've talked to so many friends and other investors that that's when they did their most deals. They did their most deals in the recession. So now is the best time to get in the business. Now is the best time to get started. Check out this book. You can get it for just $7 at reiproof.com, reiproof.com. You're going to love it. And there's some cool things that I'm going to give you the opportunity to buy after you get the PDF that is not available anywhere else at like huge, insane discounts. So just be aware of that. Check that out, okay? But go to reiproof.com, check out the book. If you don't like it, keep the book and I'll give you your money back. It's pretty cool. All right, so i got a special friend who is with me on the show right now. I'm going to bring him on. His name is Danny from a company called simplydoit.net, simplydoit.net. And Danny, how are you, man? Hey, good to see you. Thanks for having me. I'm doing good. Thanks for being on the show, man. I appreciate it. Somebody sent me an email telling me about you and I looked you up and did some research and like, holy smokes, this guy's from Israel. He did deals in the US while living in Israel. And anytime somebody tells me things like that, I'm like, I got to get him on the show, man. I want to talk about how you were able to do deals in the US virtually from halfway across the world in a crazy place like Israel. And I'd love to go there someday. Someday I will. Um, but now you're in California and you're doing even more deals, but you're still doing deals virtually, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So cool. Danny, real quick, tell us a little bit about you know where you're from and what you do, what your company does right now. Guys, I don't get any uh, commissions or affiliates or sales from Danny for talking about his company. You know, He's got a great company. He's doing some great things right now. I want him to talk about what he's doing, but I'm going to be asking him a lot of questions too. And let me say this, if you're watching us live right now on the Facebook or YouTubes, we can see your questions. And so if you type in questions or if you have anything you want to ask Danny, type them in the YouTube comments or the Facebook comments right now, and we will see them. So just say hello, type us 
Type in the uh, comments and questions down below. Tell us where you are. And if you have questions, let us know. Like Brutus right here. I love doing virtual deals. Nice. And somebody else here who I don't know who you are because it says unknown. Thanks for everything. You're welcome. So if you got questions, please type them in. We'll get to them here down below. So Danny, tell us about you and, and what kind of company you're doing, what you have right now. Yeah, I have a quick feedback about your book, just as a kind of little side, tiny side story. Yeah. In 2000, in 2000, I can't remember, I think it was 2011. I remember clearly, I was walking and thinking and I'm telling myself the following conversation, me and myself, right? Only, only the two of us are, exist. And I tell myself the following, this is 2011. I said, Danny, remind your Danny in the future in 2015, when that 2015 Danny asked, why didn't you buy more properties in 2010, 2011, 2012 that you bought as much as you could at that time? Yeah. Now, it sounds like a kind of funny story. Honestly, in 2015, that thought came to my head. And then Danny of 2015 met the conversation that was already storage from Danny from 2011, reminding him. And I was, you know, in the middle of the craziness. It's exactly like you're saying. It's kind of funny that I, I was having this yeah. dual, triple, quadruple personality situation. This is the worst time to, to back out, to slow down, to get out of the market. Yeah. This is when you want to double down. This is when you want to do more marketing. You want to buy more deals. You want to get more in the business. There's a lot of opportunity. There's so much opportunity right now. I think that every market presents opportunities. You just yeah. have to know what angle to work. And I got to say, since 2002, when I started, but mainly since 2004, that's really when I picked, uh, picked up the pace. I always was, I was always, I've never been in a not buying, you know, mode. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's just a matter of okay, what works now. Where should we target? Right? It's always been uh, it's been like this. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, Danny, you started in 2002 in real estate. Correct. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. And you were you were a young man back then in your 20s. In 2002, I was starting my high tech job. Already two three years into maybe two years or three years into my high tech job in Tel Aviv, Israel. In Israel, if you're not familiar, usually everything is a little bit done later because at 18 mandatory three-year military service. So that means you really start college or university at 21, 22, which is exactly what I did. So I finished my three years in the special forces in Israel, started school, got my engineering degree, start working, start saving money, and realize a year into my job with a good income for the Israeli high-tech you know, company that was a year ago was purchased for $1.3 billion by Salesforce. I wish I could take any credit or any stocks, none. But I realized something is off with the formula that I'm facing. Like I'm a young guy, 25, 26, starting his you know, adulthood, financial world. And what I'm seeing in front of me is the following, working those crazy hours, like it wasn't a startup, but it was like a little bit of a startup atmosphere or generally the atmosphere for such businesses in Israel. So all those crazy hours started, I'm working long weeks, traveling to Europe, which I actually loved, making a good income. But what really happens to financially? Nothing really kind of moves me forward financially. And then I have my, I call it my negative role model in front of me. And negative, not in the sense of negative bad, but ways that I think that people ahead of me, that doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. My parents, they're not negative role model, but financially, at the age of 50, they had a condo with a mortgage. That's it. Hardworking people, cousins, older cousins, uncles, friends of my parents, you can see the same pattern, working, working, working long hours, 
And what do they have to show for all those 10, 15, 20 years of working hard and really, you know, quality people, a house or a condo with a mortgage for the most part. And I told myself, this is, this does not add up. Something is off here. I was not willing to accept that formula, yeah. that path. And I just needed to find my own path. And that's kind of what led me eventually to start investing in U.S. real estate. Why U.S. real estate? Why not real estate in Israel? Ah, ah, excellent, excellent question. I just found out that you can, well, there are so many good perks for us, for U.S. real estate that are not being offered by the Israeli or many other countries around the world. A couple of things is, first of all, you can buy at the time, my first property was not even $130,000, a, a really nice suburb of Phoenix, brand new home from the builder, right? In a nice community, good schools, 130, and it rented for like 11, 1200 a month. That just doesn't exist in Israel, right? Really? Just, you know, I mean, not that quality piece of, you know, a quality real estate and that rent, the numbers were off. Leverage, I would need at least 30%, you know, down, maybe even 35. At the time, I used 20 or 25%, you know, to buy that. That was easier to do in Israel, uh, sorry, in the US versus Israel. And then when you, you know, as a foreigners, and this is something a lot of the US based people don't realize, yeah. there are so many perks, such as when we get a mortgage here, I call it the mortgage miracle. For me, it's a miracle. The mortgage here is not pegged <laughs> to the cost of living. Wait, you, everyone who, who was born here, oh yeah, of course, that's the way it is. No, it's not the way it is. The way it is, is usually pegged, right? Cost of inflation, cost of the bank wants to get back what he loans you, pegged to inflation. Yeah. This is amazing. I think that that alone can the stop. Miracle, the miracle of mortgage. Yeah, mortgage <laughs> miracle, I call it. It's amazing. So It's all perspective, isn't it? It's a lot and of some, perspective, there's no doubt. And, and I've traveled a lot, and I've even done workshops in Spain, in Prague, in the Czech Republic, and you do, and, you, and in England, you talk to different people, and it's like, man, we don't realize how good we have it here in the United States. Um, and, even and, when, even with little things like when it comes to uh, access to public records, oh, how, and how, or even having access to an MLS where you can get almost all of the properties for sale that are for sale on one place, a website. You know what I mean? So I fell in love with all those perks of so much, you know, highly regulated, but with this highly regulation industry comes a lot of transparency. So just the environment of conducting business is relatively safe. In Israel, you can wait, maybe now it's better, but anywhere from two to seven years until at the time, you know, years back until the property is recorded to your name in the county records. Wow, right? really? Now, it's not that it's not recorded, but to properly record it, right? Years. Here, I have a client who purchased a house. After a week, it was recorded. He found that there was a mistake in the recording, Some his name or the address. A week, you know, he asked the title to fix it. Two weeks later, it was corrected. He closed two weeks ago. That's <laughs> unbelievable, right? So that creates a safety net. That's you know, interesting. Uh, advanced market in terms of, you know, Seller financing doesn't exist. List to own, wraps, uh, all those creative ways, what you can do with a property, the notes. I'm not even talking, I, you know, so many things here. You can say, okay, this is a really advanced, sophisticated market, and you can slice it in so many ways. I don't, I haven't checked all the countries around the world, but in Israel, seller financing doesn't exist. No such thing as a note. There's only one note from the bank. There's no secondary market. All those things that here we can tap into, we can use, we can, 
there's just, just amazing perks to own real estate. But the mortgage miracle is by far my favorite thing. <laughs> mortgage miracle. <laughs> I love that. And you know, there's a lot of people investing in the United States from outside of the United States. So like, talk a little bit about people are afraid of that. And I have a lot of audience, a lot of people in my audience, a lot of people that listen to my podcast from outside of the US. What were some of the fears that you had of investing in the United States um, while you were in Israel? And how did you overcome those? Of course. So I'm going to talk about it in, in maybe in two ways, because I have a little advantage, so to speak. When I was in high school, my dad, who was military, was stationed in Washington, D.C., and that gave me an opportunity to live throughout high school in Washington, D.C., and even graduate from high school. So that gave me, you know, I, I always say I came to the U.S. with a broken English, and in, within two weeks, I had to, I, I needed a survival mechanism, so I picked up on, on that quickly. So that gave me some advantages, social security, get a feel what the U.S. is all about, the English. So that helped me. So it's going to be what I'm seeing when I'm talking to my clients from Israel about investing in the U.S., the, I call it the multiple gaps because obviously there is a time gap. That's a, I wouldn't say easy one, but relatively easier one. Then there is the language gap. Some of them, even those who say I speak fluent English, when someone in Israel says they speak fluent English, it means not as broken, right? <laughs> That's usually what it means. Right. So, uh, you know, so even the, the, so, but, you know, it's language barrier, terminology language, you know, uh, barrier, time, expectations, like this is how it works in Israel, right? This is how renters or work, rentership, like here's a, a very simple example. Here, typically when we rent a house, the renter puts one month of security deposit. So uh, hopefully we do proper screening, but then we get a month, maybe we're lucky we're getting two months of security deposit for the most part, right? In Israel, you get maybe three months of security deposit, a bond, and your grandma is signing on the paperwork as well. So the owner of the property says, if you screw up, screw me up, I have so many ways out to go after you, right? So that gives the owner a lot of a lot of uh, protection. Protection. So the Israeli guy comes in and say, "Wait, only giving me one month of security deposit? That's nothing." You're absolutely right. Coming from Israel, I think it's wrong. One month, but that's what's the norm here, right? Sometimes by law, sometimes by standard. So those are the type of things people don't even know how to ask. And then you got someone who comes in, and we talked about the, the language, the time. The, the terminology. And then I always also said one other important thing, culture, culture. This is more of a culture thing, you know, the security deposit. But also, I always tell my clients, listen, in the U.S., you need to know not to speak English. You need to know to speak American. And I say, what do you mean by that? Here's what I see a lot, very common in the U.S. When you talk to someone, many times like a realtor or a property manager or someone, they will give you a very extensive, elaborated answer. But when you actually slice it and dice it and see what is the answers that I received, when you kind of refine and like you hang up the phone and say, wait, 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 you talked about this and this and this and this. But I only wanted to know if this house is a good house to invest in, in that area. <laughs> and I got a, a lot of, you know, kind of generalities going around the bush 
but not really specific. Yeah, yeah. And the Israeli buyer, and I'm talking about the Israeli because that's mainly who I work with, they don't understand that at first. Only it takes them time. So when I work with them, I tell them, listen, it's not English, it's American. It's a little bit different. You need to know how to ask questions. You need to know how to politely ask it. You need to know where not what landmines not to step on, such as politics and, you know, and also the Israel is very loose, very straightforward, right? Like, I would tell you, hey, Joe, you know, uh, I really don't like the, you know, the how you did your beard today, right? Like, why? Why are you saying that? That's just the mentality, because they're thinking, your friend, I'm not passing any, any yeah, yeah. Uh, criticism, I'm just using it as an example. That's very much the Israeli mentality. It's not necessarily the same mentality for an American. It's like, who are you to even make a comment on my beard here? It's crazy, right? So even I, when I say it, I'm like, I hope I'm not being offensive to Joel, though I feel, I feel like, you know, you have no problem with it. But you make a joke with the realtor, not realizing you're being friendly, the realtor got offended, and they're never going to tell you. So yeah. this is the difference, culture, and not language, but mostly cultural gaps. It's really hard yeah. to overcome. That's That stuff is just fascinating to me. And I can't wait to go to Israel. <laughs> I, I tell my wife all the time, let's go to Israel. Um, and I even, I want to go to not just Israel. I want to go to Syria and Lebanon, oh. and Jordan. Um, I want to go to Iraq and Iran. Maybe, I don't know which is safer, Iraq or Iran right now, but go to Egypt, Saudi Arabia. That would be so cool. I'd love yeah. to do that someday. So anyway, we got some really good questions here. I'm going to be asking you these questions here in a minute, yeah. Danny. <clears throat> so those of you watching right now, keep on typing in your questions and I'll get to Danny with these questions here. So Danny, when you started buying deals here, how are you finding the deals in the US? Were you just going to, was Zillow around back then? How were you finding deals here to buy? So 2002, 2003, no Zillow. Public records were maybe starting out, maybe. Google Maps were not around. Google was a startup. Right, uh, we used MapQuest at the time. That was yeah. the main one. And you would and you would print the map on a piece of paper. Remember that you'd Absolutely. print the map on a piece of paper and you'd bring it with you in the car and you'd highlight your map, your route. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely, turn by turn. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> and the MLS prints from the agent were coming through black and white, scan, fax, whatever. Really. I, I worked with someone first who already had the the network in the US and they would source the deals. So I used some like a like a broker kind of a thing who presented deals and you know off the record <laughs> the amount of analysis I did on my first deal is a joke. It was a great deal, a great deal. But the analysis that I conducted was oh, looks nice. Numbers okay? Done. I, I kid you not. Today I am just shocked of the amount of, of analysis, not shocked, but we do with every client. Just this week, I had a client who told me, oh, Danny, I look at your Excel now and the ROI or the cash on cash is only 6.9 and I'm looking for seven and above. And I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Really? But you know what? Sometimes I blame myself to yeah. groom them in that direction because my Excel is very, you know, detailed and it's i call it not an analysis excel but the business plan for the property because it analyzes uh the, the property over 30 years yeah so you're gonna see mm -hmm. the performance over 30 years so it's not like an analysis excel more like a, a business plan template 
And we've used it probably, it's probably been used more than 50,000 times between me, my investors, my real, my real. Wow. Yeah. So it's been really kind of hammered down. So um, when you, when you got started though, you were buying properties to hold and you were renting them out. Correct. And about how many properties did you buy while you were living in Israel in the U.S.? So I did one rental. I did two, uh, participated in two syndications, not, not nothing too extensive. In 2004, we decided, my wife and I, we wanted to move. That was always the plan, but we did it in 2004. We moved to the States and I continued doing real estate and working with others. And I had in 2004 a, a five years goal of owning five properties within five years. That was my goal at the time. I ended up uh, doing it in two and a half years. Part of it was the house in Phoenix, which was purchased in 2002, more than doubled. And that bought me a few more properties uh, when I pulled money out. So that's kind of how I, I was able to, to do it quicker. And then 2007-8 came worse. <laughs> yes. What happened to you when the market crashed? So I was, I was highly leveraged, multiple properties, 5% down, 10% down, negative cash flow by design. All my income is real estate, you know, kind of real estate dependent and my income dropped. So I had to fight over to see which one I'm letting go and which one I'm keeping. It's not wasn't pleasant. I was about 30 at the time, or was it me? Yep, something around, no, a, a little bit more than 30 at the time, 33, 34. On a personal level, I had to struggle, and there was always solutions uh, you know, uh, to pick from. That's, by the way, one more thing that I've learned during the crash, and I'm kind of expecting it to happen, all of a sudden, loan modifications they, you know, came up, and short sale, and what was another thing I can remember right now? Oh, did in lieu, all yeah. those kind of tools or mechanism, which I am expecting to come again right now. We already saw the first one, the forbearance, right? Who knew what forbearance was before M March of 2020, right? We all know now, but yeah, I'm sure people knew, but, you know, oh, yeah. that's something in the in the forefront of all of us in the industry. All of a sudden, of course, forbearance, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm sure more such, maybe the short sales will come back or loan modification. But the way I know the U.S., it will be new, new terminology. There is even a new terminology to the, uh, someone told me before this COVID thing, there's a new name to the no docs, you know, the mortgage with that you oh, don't need. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Prime has a new name. Yes, yeah, Subprime has a new name. And what's it called again? I can't remember. I wrote I can't it down. Either. I'll, I'll pull it up. I wrote it down somewhere. I know where I have ah, to search for it. If anybody a, knows and you're watching right now on YouTube or Facebook, just type it in the comments. But subprime yeah. loans are now called something else. Correct. It's another politically correct. Exactly, exactly. So those things, I'm sure, will happen again. New programs, new mechanisms. I don't know how to call it. Like loan modification or maybe loan modification may be the same way or a same name or a different name. So yeah. I'm expecting those things. And this is what I think will also help kind of ease up or mitigate what we're going to go through soon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you moved to the U.S. You started buying a bunch of properties. And like a lot of us, I did the same thing. Um, I, some of them had negative cash flow, which is counting on appreciation. I was over leveraged, had too much debt. You know, I thought it was okay. Sometimes, and I know a lot of people that did this too, and I wasn't as bad as some guys I know, but you made your money from the refinances. You'd refinance, pull out your cash, right? And that would pay your bills for a couple months. Correct. Then you do it again, you know, and that's how you got paid. All of a sudden that dried up. All of a, You just have, it's just, it was a disaster and exactly. we deserved it. You know, we really did. And so what's forced me since that crash has happened is to focus even more heavily on the fundamentals, which is why your spreadsheet is so important, right? Because you need to know this makes sense, right? These, these numbers 
worst case scenario, we're going to be okay because we have cash flow, right? And you're not counting or basing all of your decisions on future appreciation, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, so that's 100. So I feel that on one hand, the crash of 28, 20, uh, 2008 or that period was far from being fun because first of all, I can tell you that I made a promise when this things started and I had a lot of clients at the time and were all of them in similar situation, not all of them. And I told my, the first thing I told myself while this was happening, I, I made a pact with myself. I said, every client that's going to call, I'm going to be there to answer his phone or whatever. Right. And I'm not going to shy any, anyone out. And I know those are not going to be fun conversations fun for it. And I will do it for a few reasons. First of all, if they need to vent towards me or somewhere, go right ahead. That's one. It's important to let people vent. By, by the way, I remember many venting at me, just venting altogether. Second, because I am in the, the trenches and I'm digging and looking and searching, maybe there's something I can do that I found out that can help them. So maybe I can help them with finding a solution or pointing them in, in a certain direction to help them. And yeah. third, maybe they're doing something that I can benefit. And I remember those calls, I took all of them. You know, I, I know people that colleagues that were taking that time putting their head in the sand, they disappeared for months or years and came back when things started to recover. And I just decided that I'm taking it in a, in a little bit different way. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, what does your business look like today, Danny? What are you doing these days? So today we do rental properties remotely. Most of the clients I work with are coming from the West Coast, some of the East Coast. All of them are in the mindset of I'm busy, work, family, dealing with COVID, whatever. I don't have time to find, you know, I live usually in a very expensive real estate market such as Silicon Valley, whatever market it is. Real estate around me is expensive to buy. It's the horrible cash flow wise because the rents are relatively low. I understand, you know, real estate is a, is a good tool, but I can't do it here or it doesn't make sense. I need to do it out of state. And that's when they realize they have to go out of state. It's where all their questions starting out. Where should I go? How can I analyze the deal? Who can I trust? Which market? You know, and tons of questions start to come up. And that's when we come in and we say, listen, on one hand, we can help you, the investor, you know, help with all answering those questions and addressing all your needs. And, you know, everybody has challenges like, you know, financing or that. Everybody has challenges, fear or, or finding properties. It doesn't matter. So we're going to help you steer you through all those challenges. So that's like a mentoring aspect of my business or the analogy is like a financial advisor for real estate. But then what are you going to do with that knowledge? So it's very important to help them not just figure it out, but apply it as well. That's when we have systems and processes in place, highly vetted, or we spend a lot of time vetting realtors and property managers and everything, and what kind of properties we buy, and where would we buy, and who would we use, and we create those systems and processes and teams in different parts of the country, Houston, Dallas, Phoenix, Orlando, Tampa, Kansas City, etc., right? I've been through 45 plus metros around the country, setting up teams, and it kind of changes every once in a while. Some, you know, and then we offer our investors to buy in those markets when it's a turnkey operation, not a turnkey property, turnkey operation. Everything is ready. You just have to choose the house, so to speak. Good, good. Talk about the lending environment for investors. You know, somebody from California wants to buy a deal in Dallas, Texas. Uh, so I have two questions for you. Number one, talk about the numbers on a typical deal that you sell to an investor. And number two, talk a little bit about Danny. Um, the lending is is lending tightening up right now. What are the 
what are you seeing investors able to get in terms of, of financing? Okay. Makes sense? So yeah, absolutely. So numbers wise, typically by upper middle class, middle middle class, lower middle class type of schools and areas. And that will go for the most properties from give or take 150 to 225. Give or take $25,000 up and down. So that those are the type, the prices that we're looking at. And, and if someone is not from those areas, yes, you can buy a really nice house for $200,000 in a suburb of Nashville. And I mean a really nice house, right? Yeah. It's not a mansion, but it's a nice house, right? Even for $150,000. Yeah, and that's not the down payment. That's the entire house with the land. So that's kind of the pricing. Well, that that house that you can buy for one hundred fifty to 250000 in a suburb of Nashville, uh, what is that rent for? So let's say in Nashville, you know, uh, first of all, a, a lot of people are used to the 1% rule. I found in the past three, four years, the 1% doesn't exist. It's more like 0.5%. It does exist, but oh. in, not in neighborhoods you want to invest in, right? Thank you. Correct. Yes. In, in that category of real estate, the middle class category, rarely does it exist. You can still find it every once in a while, but not, I wouldn't bet on it. And by the way, Nashville never was never in the 1%. It was always below. And, and for anyone who's working through the 1% rule or whatever adjusted rate it is, my little piece of advice to you, don't. And that's where I made mistakes. And I I missed on Nashville for about a year or two because I analyzed it based on the 1% rule. And what I did a year later, I took nine properties in different parts of Nashville, fully ran them through our analysis model, realized none of them follow the 1% rule, but also realized the cash flow with the 0.75% in Nashville is better than the 1% in Dallas. Why? property taxes, and insurance rates, okay? So if you're an investor and you're looking for the 1%, you may be missing, uh, by the way, the rent is not what we, we need. We need to know what the cash flow is, right? So it can be a, a really high rent and a lot of expenses. And the cash flow is, is sucks and can be the other way around. So it's important to really run the numbers fully to know your numbers. That's I made that mistake. I'm, I'm telling you to not follow the 1% rule because it's a rule of thumb. And what good is a rule of thumb when you have to go into the nitty gritty? And so those those are the type of properties. Now, regarding, uh, regarding financing... Nathan um, says here, yeah. the 1% rule is a horrible rule of thumb. I agree. I agree. I learned the hard way. Nobody did. You know, again, let me just emphasize this here. It does make sense. Like if you can find a deal, that's great. But a lot of times those kinds of deals are not going to be in the best areas. They're not going to be in really good, solid markets with good job growth, good economies, a high demand for living. And you're going to get a house that's maybe older, that needs more, that has more deferred maintenance, that's maybe not going to attract as good of a tenant. Um, it's going to need more updating and things like that. So that's all of stuff that you need to evaluate as well, right? Isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You're spot on with clarifying that because you can get that. You know, I, I always say it's a compromise. You can get a cat. You can buy a lower end, cheaper house, not so in, in not the best part of town, an old house. It could probably on paper generate the 1%. Whether it will actually generate the 1% or above, it's, it's a little bit speculative. It could have zero deferred maintenance or very minimal with a great tenant. You're lucky. My experience in most cases, the tenant is challenged financially. The property is old that needs repairs. So all of a sudden on paper, the 1% that you got becomes 0.5% with a lot of turnover. So that's the, the, the trade-off that you can consider. For me, it's, making, it's just making sure if the numbers could work. Yes, I want the 1%. Yeah, go ahead. Talk a little bit about the financing of the properties. Okay. How has it become more challenging for investors to get financing on their deals in this economy right now? 
no, 20, yeah, yeah, most of my investors, you know, for a minute there, there was a bit more challenging just because the banks were like a little bit hesitant. I think May, the banks kind of started, okay, it's not that crazy. Some banks added more uh, um, reserve, increased the reserve they want, or maybe decided to go for a little while with higher down payment. But the banks are now back pretty much to where they, the, the biggest challenge with the banks is they're, they're swamped with work. 2.5 to 3.5-ish percent. People are hammering them for refi and for purchases. So the, the, the biggest challenge is just getting the bank to work quickly and appraiser to go to the house just because they're swamped because of those rates. So mm-hmm. as an investor, if you have good credit, not perfect, good income, not you know not a, not a million dollar, but just good income, steady. If you are safe in the eyes of the bank, you're not a risky borrower, you could probably do 20% down. Uh, most of my investors do 25%, but you can do 25 at 20% down. Remember, rates for investment property are gonna, always going to be higher than, than primary residence. So that's something you can to keep in mind. But uh, we are uh, closing on houses with mortgages on a weekly basis. What, what are the limits that banks are having? Are you finding it harder to get new loans from our investors once they reach a certain limit of eight, nine, 10 homes or something like that? So four is the usually it's four or six depends Fannie Mac or Fannie Freddie or Fannie four is usually the first kind of barrier up to ten not necessarily a problem if you have husband and wife both work each can get their own ten so you can actually you know find ways to work around above ten we're going to the creative solutions and there are solutions there the way I usually work with my clients who are looking to buy multiple properties. When we get to six and seven mortgages, I start giving them instructions how to improve their credit standing, so they are more they are better prepared for the, the you know the, the coming up. And then at around ten, we'll find other creative ways how to consolidate few mortgages, so you have less showing on your credit score, credit score. What are what are the advice that you give to investors? Do you encourage them to pay off their mortgages as quickly as possible? Or are you are you trying to? Where's the balance between trying to pay them off or taking using more leverage to buy more deals? Okay, so I, I have my answer is in, it really depends what the the client wants to do. But if you ask me, ideally, if we have those amazing mortgage miracles that I talked about, I would want to have them forever because in a way, I there's a there's a erosion of the principle. Because inflation does happen in this country. And we are, and the mortgage, the mortgage miracle is actually, uh, there is an erosion of the principle that I owe. So why pay it back? Keep it, you know, 30, 40 years, 50 years, right? In my opinion, that's a much better financial vehicle. But we are not just in the financial vehicle type of tools. And people want to get to a certain point where they are free and clear or have multiple, you know, have multiple houses that they have accumulated over the years, paying their livelihood or most of it so they can either fully retire or semi-retire. So if you are thinking, I got to get to the point that I'm not feeding those houses with time. They are feeding me. So that's when I t- tell my investors, although I love those mortgage miracles uh, tools, let's start using some sort of mortgage acceleration mechanism in order to get you to be done and paid off within 10 years, 15, whatever you want to accomplish. So I'm trying to work the situation to the person and see 
how the, the general of holding mortgages uh, coexists with our basic need to get to the point like, okay, done. Seven houses, all paid off in, you know, in 10 years. That's it. Now show me how to get there. Okay, let's use a little bit different tactics because... We, we, we all want to get to that point eventually at some, you know, when we're maybe 50 or 60 or whatever, the, or 40, you know, depending where how soon we start and when we want to be at that point. Yeah. You know, we talked about the last recession. I didn't meet anybody in that last recession who went into bankruptcy or foreclosure who had free and clear houses. You know what I mean? Like yeah. every person that I know in that market who got hurt and crushed had a it, ton of debt. And so there is something to be said with paying off your properties as soon as possible. That's my philosophy on that. I know some people say like refi till you die and you can't argue against a spreadsheet, right? Because the numbers will always show that you're better off by just continually refinancing it, buying more properties, taking on more properties, more debt, more leverage. I I just thought about it not, not too long ago that the refi, 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 we never get to the point of like, you know, really, yeah. and I think we, all of us do it to, you know, to get to that point eventually. So I think that it's really something like personal goals, but those who understand and want to get to that point, and many do, I try to show them with few really simple techniques, but just need to understand how to utilize them to get to that point even sooner if they want to. All right. So let's talk real quick about, cause we got to wrap this up soon. When you're meeting with a new client, what are some of the minimum criteria they need to be looking for in a deal? Do you, how do you measure that? Is it cash flow, cap rate, net operating income, oh. cash on cash return? You know what I mean? Oh, thank you for a great, great question. Here is my way of worrying about it. A lot of investors in the residential world are looking at the cash on cash or cap rate. I don't. I think anybody who does that is only looking at the portion of the picture. I measure a property financial performance. I'm not just measuring, making decisions based on financial performance, but the financial performance for me stands on three legs. The cash on cash, a little bit of appreciation. Let's call it inflation rate, right? 3% a year. The fact that the market did 8% last year has no meaning for me. This is speculating. Over time, 3% in this country, we can count on. You want to make it 2%? Fine. You want to make it 4%? Fine. The f- I don't care about anything beyond that. If you buy with me and you end up with 8%, woohoo, I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm not, I'm not banking on that. And then the third is the principal reduction. Remember, our cash flow includes mortgage payments, which factors principal reduction. It's not money in the bank. It's in the walls of the house, but it's our money. So those three things I measure, the cash on cash, the cash flow, or the cash on cash, the inflation rate appreciation, not more than that, principal reduction, and that tells me the financial story of this property. Of course, if I buy cash, I lose one of them, and that's fine. And that's how I measure those properties. And one thing you said earlier, and I learned after the crash, the reason I started using this financial Excel mo- you know, model is because I needed a, a realistic tool and I needed a tool, you know, I couldn't go with the best case scenario, right? That doesn't work. I used to work as under the worst case scenario. You know what happens when you do worst case scenario? You don't do anything. You go, you, you get the worst case, right? So I have a cemetery full with great deals that I didn't do because no property will pass the worst case scenario. It's just not going to happen. Then I decided I need, I need something else. And I decided what I, I call it, realistic case scenario and i put a little bit conservatism into it so if i'm not sure about the rent i will not slice it i will drop it by 50 or 100 bucks the expenses i will go up a little bit i'll go down a little bit i'm not gonna burden 10 percent you know in this and 10 percent of that that's worst case it's not gonna happen so i'm trying to be realistic and accurate as possible with the numbers 
and always go down a bit to the conservatism. I can tell you this, after close to 5,000 properties, rental properties, Excel that we've used more than 50,000 times, just because not every property we analyze, you know, it gets purchased, it works. The model works. The model, not 100%. We've had better. We had worse, right? Uh, the rent didn't turn out to be as, you know, what we expected. I don't have horror stories like the rent we quoted 1500 and it ended up being 600 Never happened. It did happen 1500 to end up being 1200 No fun. But that's not a common practice. That rarely happens. So the model works. The model works well. Most times investors are telling me a year, two years later, we are doing cash flow better than the Excel. Not great deal better. 100 bucks more. 150 bucks more, which is great. You know, it changes things, you know, quite a bit. So those are the main thing that I look for. And then, of, of course, the, the house itself, location, size, age, uh, you know, make sure I'm not next to any urban nuisance, you know, stuff. You know, I'm really picky about what we buy. You know, I'm really careful about how we analyze it. But it all has to come together, right? It cannot be yeah. just the cash flow. It cannot be just the size of the house. It all has <clears> to come <throat> together. Good, good. We got a question here from somebody. Is it possible to do deals virtually with just getting started with limited funds? Yes, up until the limited funds. So again, my answer, my world is a world of, of mortgages. And the world of mortgages require a down payment. Um, when you're saying limited funds, it may be $2,000. I don't know what the number is. It could be for someone who lives you know, in the Bay Area, you know, or California, he calls it $50,000 because he thinks he needs to do more. You know, I would say if we buy in my world virtually, as you call it, a $100,000 home, which is possible, usually be the, the lowest we would go in order not to compromise too much on the age and locations and school, you need 20% down, that's $20,000, and you need another 10 ish in costs, make ready, et cetera. So that's about $30,000. Now, if you're saying limited funds and you have 25, yes, you're almost there. If you're saying, no, I have five, there are people all, all over my career, I'm hearing you can buy real estate with no money down. I was close to do it twice, never succeeded to actually pulling it up, pulling the trigger. Maybe Joe knows how to do it. I, you know, I don't know how to do no money down. Purchasing or owning real estate. I'm not talking about wholesaling and stuff like this. That's all. That's not really in, in my world. Wholesaling is not really investing. You're not really owning real estate. But I could be wrong about the terminology. Good. Uh, good. Um, yeah. I got another question here. Well, this is a comment from uh, Rebecca. Shalom. I've been to Israel three times. Love it. I know people there, and I'd love to do real estate marketing deals there. Um, just started speaking to a seller in Texas. Very cool. Glad you're here. Nice to meet you. Somebody's asking me, deal machine, prop stream, or both? Deal machine is really good if you want to do driving for dollars. Deal machine is amazing. Prop stream, I use prop stream every day. Propstreamjoe.com. Twin Cities, Twin Benefits is asking, is this being recorded? Yes, it is. By the way, you can get all of my podcasts at realestateinvestingmastery.com. You can get it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play. It's all over there. But bomb Carla is a good friend of mine who is in Illinois who does tenant screening. Uh, this is awesome, Joe. Great topic. I have several investors that I do background checks for in Israel. Also several members in other countries. I created my website so anyone can change the language. I respect you uh, touching on this. Your guest speaker is informative and sounds great. Carla, I've been using Carla for tenant screening for years and years. If any of you all want to check her out, um, go to Landlord. Well, her website, the company is called Landlord Tenant Services. And I believe the website is ltservices.us. Cool. Nathan's been to Israel twice. Jordan once. Love it. 
Hmm. What's up, Larry? Subprime loans are now called disastrous future. No, that's not the name I'm familiar with. Non-prime loans. Maybe they're called non-prime loans. No, no, those are like abbreviation, dom, doubt, do's, do. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) There is a funny name for it. I know what you're talking about. All right, Danny, how can people reach you? Where's a good place for them to go? To, it looks like your is your main website simply do it.net. That's correct. Uh, pretty much everywhere you go with the word simply do it. It's like my web alter ego on Twitter, on Instagram, YouTube. I put a lot of content out there as well. So look, find me on my website, contact us. Um, usually I offer a free strategy session. We just talk. No strings attached. I'm actually just had one this morning. We ended up 30 minutes before we started this call. I have another one in 20 minutes. I already told my uh, assistant to let her, my next one know that I may be late. I wasn't sure when we're going to be wrapping. So I may I may or may not. That's fine. During that call, we try to talk about you. Specifics. What's your challenges? What's, what's bothering you? Ask me questions, etc. And then if it makes sense, we may work together. If it's not a good fit, that's okay. Nice. Good. Simply do it.net. Simply yep. do it.net. Do you have uh, like any a blog or YouTube channel or podcast or anything like that? So uh, I have a not fully maintained podcast. Okay. Uh, I have one in Hebrew is more active, actually mm-hmm. very active. The simply do it.net has a blog site uh, part of it. And on YouTube, YouTube simply do it. It's also my channel. Good. All right. Scott just said here, I just bought your book. Thank you, Scott. And Carla, ltservices.us. That's right. LTServices, if you're interested in a tenant screening company. Somebody's asking here, Jerry, is wholesaling legal in Chicago? Yes. But you probably need to get your license or just go ahead and buy it. Isn't that what we talked about, that you can wholesale one deal a year without license or something like that? Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's, It's one of those things where just buy the house, close on it, get your license. Um not a big deal really isn't no matter and i have a lot of students and friends in illinois that are still crushing it doing deals so um where there's a will there's a way cool uh danny thank you so much for being on the podcast simply do it.net um it's been a pleasure and uh thank you for having me best of luck to you in your endeavors and and as the market is changing and transitioning now um thank you appreciate for being on the show man pleasure thank you joe all right. See you, Danny. Hey, guys, don't forget real quick to my book. Go get it at reiproof.com, reiproof.com. And it's only seven bucks. Hmm. It's not cooperating with me. There it is right there. It's a real book. I just wanted to show you. And it has color. It's colored inside. And I show you my letters and all of that in there that I use to find deals, buyers, investors, stuff like that. So good. We'll see you all later. Thank you, Danny. Take Thank care. You.